I also want to wish everyone a happy Mother's Day. We always love our moms. I want you to turn to your neighbor right now and tell them what was your mother's best trait, okay? And kids, if you're here and your mother's here, tell it to her face, okay? Your mother's best trait. Go ahead. Talk about that for a second. All right. Good job. My mother had a really good arm. She... She played catch with us, throw baseballs, football stuff. She also had a, a very pure heart, I think, and a pure mouth. She never cursed or swore. I mean, we had a whole bunch of words that we were not allowed to say, and she kept all those. We only ever made her curse one time. Um, she was sitting on the toilet, and we let off a firecracker. <laughs> I do feel bad about that, but oh well. Okay, uh, I think... Most of us could use more peace, especially mothers. What mother couldn't use a little bit more peace? So we're going to think about that today and um, thinking about shalom, which is a really specialized kind of peace. And we're going to try to pull this out of a a familiar text that we've been looking at for many months now. But uh, I think it's going to be very helpful, hopefully, for mothers and, and for everybody. So I'd like you to turn there with me, if you would, to Jeremiah 29. So if you've got a Bible, it'd be great to open up your Bible or open up your phone or grab a Bible out of the chair and follow along. Jeremiah is one of the big prophets about uh, two-thirds of the way through the Old Testament. So go to Psalms and then go to the right. Uh, Jeremiah 29. Okay, I'm going to start reading verse 1. Jeremiah 29, verse 1. Before I read this to you, I just want you to know that uh, you're in my prayers, and here's the prayer I have for you. The Lord be with you. This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles to the priests, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jehoiachin and the queen mother, the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the skilled workers and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. So he's writing a letter to these people who have been carted off into captivity. Now jump down to verse 4. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile and pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you they encourage you to have. They are prophesying lies to you in the name, in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So I wanted to start with something helpful, maybe a little bit of advice for mothers who are in a hurry and in need of peace. Have you ever not had time to like do all your morning stuff because you're in such a hurry? Here's a way to maybe save some time. Yes? Okay. I'm just curious if anybody does try that, let me know how that works. Ever have trouble keeping ice cubes? We always had that problem at home. Use frozen vegetables. And then you also get the diffused thing going on with your stuff. Do you have trouble keeping dirty dishes out of your sink? Now, here's a trick that really works. Take the drying rack, set it up next to the sink filled with dirty dishes, and put just a couple of clean dishes into the drying rack. 
then if anybody comes in, it looks like you've been in progress making this. Okay, maybe not. One last piece of advice. Don't do this. Don't serve liquor to your kids. It might be tempting sometimes, but uh, not do that. This is flat out a bad idea and bad advice, so don't do that. Sometimes advice uh, we get about things is bad. It's bad for us. We know it is. But other times advice is more like uh, counterintuitive. It's advice that it sounds bad when we get it, but the more you think about it, the more likely it is to be good. This is called counterintuitive advice. I don't know if you've ever heard that term before, but counterintuitive advice is it advice that makes you slow down and think and re-examine and reevaluate the situation. I've got a couple of examples of that. These are advice from uh, kind of entrepreneurial kind of leaders who want to give you advice about how to succeed. Amazon's Jeff Bezos says, change your mind a lot. Well, that sounds like counterintuitive advice because usually you're told if you want to succeed, you've got to be focused, you've got to keep your mind on track. He says, change your mind a lot. Elon Musk, who does the, the SpaceX guy and Tesla motor guy, says, always seek negative feedback. Usually we try to avoid negative feedback, but he says, seek it out. Ed Catmull, who's the Disney Pixar guy, says, fail faster. That's his advice. Now, you thought I was going to give you advice about success and how to succeed. I'm giving you this advice because it's counterintuitive. At, at first, hearing it might sound like not good advice at all. It's bad advice. But the more you think about it, the more it sounds good. These guys are telling us that success actually requires some humility. Uh, success requires us to have room to keep learning, to keep asking questions, to keep exploring things. Counterintuitive advice invites us to rethink what we know or even to rethink what we think we know. That's what counterintuitive advice is. Jesus gave some counterintuitive advice. Here's some advice Jesus gave. Jesus said, love your enemies. Good advice? He said, do good to those who hurt you. Pray for those who persecute you. This might sound at first like really bad advice, but it's counterintuitive. And if you think about it long enough, you'll figure out why it's actually really good advice. So what I want to do for the next few moments is go through this Jeremiah 29 passage, and I want to listen to Jeremiah's advice, and it's definitely in the category of counterintuitive advice. When we first hear it, we think, that's not good advice at all, it's bad advice. But the more it sinks in, I'm hoping you'll go, oh, that's really good advice. Okay. First question, uh, what counterintuitive advice does is it raise questions, and here's the first question I have about uh, Jeremiah's advice. How do we live in exile? So the scene is this. It's 587 B.C. Uh, Jeremiah has been saying for about 40 years to God's people, you're going to be in exile if you don't obey God. And lo and behold, it comes true, and they get carted off into Babylon. So Jeremiah writes a letter that's primarily to the leaders, to the power brokers, the people that had been in charge. He writes this to the king and to the queen mother and the court officials and the various other high officials and the favored artists and artisans and workers of metal. They're no longer in charge. They are now captive in a hostile nation. They're in exile, and they did not choose this. Now, uh, if you were here last week, you heard Gary give a really great introduction to this passage in Jeremiah 29, basically saying this, nobody wanted to be here. This was not what they expected. They all wanted to get back to Jerusalem. They wanted to get back to normal. They wanted to get back into power. 
They wanted to end their suffering. And so they were kind of asking with some urgency, how long do we have to be here? How, can, how soon before we can go home and things can go back to normal? And some of the false prophets told them what they wanted to hear. They said, don't worry, it's not going to be very long. You know, keep your coat on, keep your bags packed. You're going to head back to Jerusalem. It won't be long and things will be back to normal. And then Jeremiah comes in and Jeremiah says this, build houses and settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce, marry and have sons and daughters, find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Translation, you're going to be here a long time. Settle in. You're not going anywhere. Which raises this first question. How do we live then if we're living in exile? And one of the first things you might be tempted to think is, if we're living in a hostile nation in the middle of a bunch of people who we think are pagan people, then we should hunker down and like keep to ourselves and isolate and we should avoid them. We should stick with our own little community. We don't want to compromise. We don't want to accommodate. We're going to keep them at arm's length. We're going to not let them corrupt us with their evil ways. We don't want, to, you know, we don't want anything to do with their vile practices or anything like that. Certainly, that's what God would want us to do, right? Stay clear of the evil people. Stick to yourselves whenever possible. Avoid the Babylonians. Exile is hard. They're the enemy. Avoid them. Sound like good advice? Maybe, but Jeremiah offers different advice, very counterintuitive advice. He says this. Actually, it's from God. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all of you who have been carried into exile into Babylon. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you Two will prosper. God says to them, don't avoid. Engage. You should be working to seek the well-being of these people. Seek it by praying for their well-being and by working for their well-being. Engage. God says, the more you pray for them and their well-being, the better off it will go for you. And he introduces this word in this passage, shalom. He's actually saying, pray for shalom and work for shalom. Now, shalom is a beautiful word, but we don't have a really great English equivalent for this word. But shalom is the opposite of strife and anxiety. Uh, it's the opposite of darkness. We were singing a few moments ago about let there be light that's shalom. Light is actually peace and harmony and completeness and prosperity and welfare and tranquility all rolled up into one. Like if anything is good for you, that's shalom. This is a beautiful concept. Shalom is to be totally safe, mind, body, and soul. Shalom is everything is just right. You remember Goldilocks when she gets to the third bed? And the third bowl of porridge, what does she say? This is just right. That's shalom. When everything in the world is just right, that's shalom. And that would actually be my personal definition of shalom. Everything is just right in the world. That's shalom. And shalom, when shared, 
actually has the ability to multiply itself. That's why they use it as a greeting. They greeting shalom to you, you know, like good morning, peace to you. Because when I multiply rightness, I heap goodness upon goodness. And so it becomes more and more right with the world so that everything becomes just right. And God says to His people that their shalom is directly linked to the shalom of the Babylonian people. If they have peace, then you will have peace. This is the promise that God makes to them. Does that sound kind of counterintuitive? Bring shalom to the people that have just carried you into exile. But this is what we're told to do. Engage. Seek peace. Seek shalom. Pray for it and work for it. Which brings me to the next question that I have about this, and that is, well, how? How do we do that? How do we pray for shalom and work for shalom? Again, Jeremiah 29, 7 points to, I think, these two steps very clearly. Seek the shalom of the city where I have exiled you and pray to God on its behalf and work for its peace. So here's my question. Is everything right in your world right now? Is everything, would you say your life is just right? Everything. So I'm going to have you make a little list of the things in your life that are not just right. Okay? Anything that's causing fear or anxiety, anything that causes you pain or darkness, anything that's troubling you, okay? Make a little list of those things that are not right in your life. Okay, time's up. It, it usually doesn't take us very long to jump to stuff in our life and in the world that's not right because we get bombarded with this stuff all the time. So the first step towards setting everything just right is to pray about it. To pray, God, bring shalom, bring peace, bring wholeness, completeness, make this right. When everything is not right with your family or your spouse or your kids or your neighbors or your coworkers or your classmates, then pray for shalom. If things are not right with the people that annoy you, the people that are rude to you, people that are mean to you, pray for their shalom, for their peace. When things are not right with people who are very different from you, people of different race, different religion, different economic status, different values, pray for their peace. This is what we're called to do. And i got to admit that this praying part, for me, can sometimes be a big hurdle. I can relate to Jesus' disciples. There's an interesting little story in Luke chapter 9 where Jesus' disciples are going into a city in Samaria, and as they're getting ready to go into the city, the people are not hospitable. They don't welcome them. They're not welcome. It doesn't say what they did, but it sounds like they were, you know, re- rude, mean-spirited people. They didn't let him into their city. And so the disciples came to Jesus, and they asked him this, Lord, do you want us to pray down fire from heaven to destroy them? Yeah, I'd like to pray that prayer for some people that cross my path that are mean and rude and I don't like them. I'm much more likely to pray down fire on their head than to pray for their shalom. Are you kidding me? That seems counterintuitive. They're my enemy. Pray for their well-being, for their peace. Do you think that it was easy for the people of God to pray for 
the peace of the Babylonians. I mean, these people had just conquered them and drugged them into exile and put them in a ghetto. They're oppressing them. Think it was easy for them to pray for their well-being? God says pray. So this is the first step. When something's not right in your life, not right in the world, not right in your family, not your workplace, whatever's not right, then pray for shalom, for peace. And for some of us, that might be all the farther you get in this sermon. That's going to be great. If you just need to figure out how to pray for peace for the people that are most annoying to you, that'd be a huge step. That'd be great. But some of you are really good at that already. So I wanted to give you the second step, which is then to work for peace, to work for shalom. And there's lots of things we could say about this. I thought I should be as practical as I could. So I'm going to start by um, picking on mothers since it's your special day today. Moms, is everything right in your world? Is everything just right in your world? Would you say you have shalom? And of course it's not. So you, being a good mother, pray. You pray for the peace. You pray for your husband and all of his dysfunction, and you pray for your children and their problem. You pray for things to come right with your family. That's what you do. And then after you pray, you start to work for peace. You start to work for shalom. And this is what it looks like if you're a mom. It looks like cooking good meals for your kids. It looks like driving your kids all over kingdom come. It looks like kissing boo-boos when your husband has a boo-boo. It looks like um, reading books to your kids before they go to bed. This is what shaloms look like. This is what moms do. Moms do work to try to make the world just right for their families. And that's really huge, important work. I talked to a mom this week who has three little kids, and she was telling me this. She was saying how precious they are and how much she just wants to hold them. And we were talking about my kids and their dysfunction and how this mother wants to protect her kids from their future, from growing up, to keep them there. And I thought, this is a very shalomy moment. She's wanting what's just right for her little sons. And then, right after she had this moment, oh, peaceful moment, then she said their kids had a fight, and I don't remember if it was over the remote or something else. They were fighting, and so she had to give them time out in the room, and she was trying to do her exercise routine. And so while she's exercising, she's got a kid screaming in each corner of her basement. And then she's like, I'm done with them. I don't need these kids. I don't want these kids. I don't want... You know what she's doing when she wants what's best for them, and when she's giving them time out, you know what she's doing? She's working for shalom in her family. That's what she's doing. It's really important work, working for the well-being So I want to bless moms, and if you're willing, I'd just like to have anybody who's a mom stand up. If you're a mom or even want to be a mom, stand. would you be willing to identify yourself and stand up? Okay. Thank you for for being a mom, first of all. I want to bless you so that you think about things this way. When you change dirty diapers and do piles of laundry, when you carry your kids' rocks in your pocket all day long or put the dandelions in a vase when you make the best macaroni and cheese, when you read them a book, when you rock them to sleep, when you administer timeouts, or if you call them long distance to check on how their day was, 
if you make any investment in your kids, you're working for shalom. That's what you're doing. This is important work. We're called to, to pray and work for the peace of the city, and I think it starts at home. And this is why your shirts always have stains on them, and you never get to sleep through the night. And you hurt when they hurt. And you fret and you worry about them and their decisions. And it doesn't matter how old your kids get. You keep fretting and worrying about their choices and their decisions and their future. That's the cost of shalom. And that's the kind of work that mothers do all the time. And it's complicated sometimes to figure out, and it's not always easy to do. But I want to bless you for working uh, to bring a little bit of shalom. And I have a picture to try to encourage you. It's my picture of what shalom looks like. And this is what I think shalom looks like. Yeah, there's peace when they're sleeping. That's when there's peace. But I love the expression on this kid's face because what we want to work for as parents, as mothers and fathers, is to to bring our kid to the place where there is everything just right. That's what we want. That's bringing shalom. That's what you do. Just a reality check. Here's what shalom does not look like, just so you know. You're going to have days like that too. So thank you, moms. Okay, I'm not going to just pick on moms today. I'm going to try to get everybody. So I'm thinking about this invitation in Jeremiah 29.7 toward peace and, and what that shalom looks like in your setting. So is there anybody here who's like involved in education? You're a teacher, you're a principal in your administration, you're a teacher's aide, a bus driver, a cook, you work in a preschool or high school or a college, if you are involved in education in any level, in any capacity, would you be willing to stand up for just a moment? All the educators and administrators and... Okay. How about if you're a student? Can we have the students stand up? If you're, if you're in school and learning, can you guys stand up too? Okay. What does shalom look like in your world? I'm curious about this. I, I, I have some ideas, but I think it might look like creating a safe place, creating a place for kids to go and be encouraged, being joyful, giving a helping hand, helping people have more confidence. I'm guessing it's super complicated and you sometimes don't know what's the right thing to do, but when you go to work or go to school tomorrow, what if you started with asking the question, what would a little more shalom look like in this place? And how could you pray for it and then work for it to actually bring it? That's what Jeremiah, I think, is inviting us to do. Okay, you guys can sit down. Is there anybody here who's involved in, like, the medical world? You do healthcare, nurses, physicians, tech, administrators, floor moppers. You are involved in a clinic or a hospital or nurse's station, something medical, would you be willing to stand up and identify yourself? All right, we got some of those. What does shalom look like in your world? When you go to work tomorrow, what is going to bring wholeness and peace, health, vitality, joy, patience, kindness, support? How do you walk with those who are hurting? What does that look like for you? This is the question that Jeremiah 29.7 invites us to ask. Monday through Saturday, we're in the world praying for and working for shalom. And you guys are doing it in a very specialized and very important place. So 
Um, I, don't, I wish I had a picture for these things. I couldn't figure out what a good picture would look like. But if you think of one, come tell me later. You guys can sit down. Okay, is there anyone here who's involved in business or finance or retail, sales, insurance, banking, customer service, manufacturing, trade, building, repair, public service, police, fire, military, public works, collecting garbage, engineering, farming, food service, restaurants, transportation? Basically, if you have a job and you haven't stood up yet, stand up now. Okay? So Monday through Saturday, you're all going to be engaged in the world doing something. Will it bring shalom? Will it bring peace? And what does that look like for you? Uh, Doing your work with integrity, with patience, fairness, kindness, justice? Does it mean doing good work? Just showing up and putting in a full day's hard work, making good stuff, fixing broken stuff, doing the job right, doing your best, serving others, making the world run better. Is that what you could do in your job tomorrow morning when you go, how do I bring, I'm going to pray for and work for shalom in my job. Do you think that could change your world, could transform the corridor? I think it could. Okay, you can sit down. You think about that. We are called to pray for and work for the peace, the shalom of the city in which we live, not to avoid or hide or hunker down, but to make a difference. This is what we've been thinking about, transforming the corridor. And all week long, I was trying to think of a perfect illustration, perfect picture of this, and I I didn't come up with one. But yesterday, I got to go to a gymnastics meet for preschool kids. And this was the highlight of my week. This was amazing to see all these little kids going out there. And they do all the stuff the big kids do. So they floor exercise in the beam and the vault and the wrap around the pole thing, whatever that's called, the bars. But my favorite part of it was the response after each event, after each kid did their little performance. They stood up and they threw their hands up and they said, ta-da! I didn't know that's what that meant in gymnastics when you got all done, but I got to tell you, after just 30 minutes of watching all of these kids go, ta-da, I wanted to walk out in the parking lot and go, ta-da. I, that's such a happy expression. It's such a great vision of the world. And now you all right now are thinking you wish you could say it, aren't you? So say it, ta-da. Okay, you can't say it without throwing your hands up. So ta-da. Okay, all right. Awesome. It's actually better if you stand up. Ta-da! Oh, you chicken, you cowards. Okay. Ta-da is my new word for shalom. If everything in the world was just right, I think people would run around all day long going, ta-da! This is great. And this is what we're invited to participate with God in. To participate with God in bringing Ta-da! Shalom for the whole world. Everything just right. We get to participate with God in this. And here's such great good news. There's this promise tucked in at the end of this little passage from Jeremiah. It sounds like such bad advice, counterintuitive advice. But at the end of it, there's this beautiful promise, Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you, declares God. Plans for shalom. That's God's plan for us. Not for evil, 
but for hope and for a future. God's whole plan for the whole world is to bring shalom. God wants to say, ta-da! Lord God, we come to you today and we give you thanks for the truth of your word here and for the encouragement that we have to, to go out and seek peace. We just pray that you'll strengthen us to that end and guide us. We thank you, God, for the, the good work that you're doing there and continue to stretch us and stretch our imagination about how we might um, engage in doing that. Thank you for these good people for their uh, engaging with your word today and for their willingness to go out Monday through Saturday and bring peace to their families and to their neighborhoods and to their workplaces, to their schools. God, accomplish the good that you want to accomplish. We pray, God, for anyone who might be sitting here today who needs some peace. There may be individuals who are feeling isolated and alone. They're lonely. They feel like they don't matter, that nobody cares. God, bring them some shalom. God, there may be people right in this room now who are hurting physically. They, they're sick. Or they've had surgery or they need surgery. They're dealing with illness or cancer. They need healing. Bring your shalom, God. There may be people in this room who are struggling mightily with their families, with their spouse or with their children. They desperately need reconciliation. They need peace. God, bring shalom to them. God, others sitting here, we don't know what challenges they face, what darkness they may have, but we pray, God, that you would turn things around in their life to bring peace and shalom to them. God, we're thankful that we can turn to you, and we know that you hear our prayers, you hear us when we cry out to you, and that you're constantly working to bring good, to bring your kingdom near to us, to accomplish your purpose in our life and in our congregation and in our community and in our world. So thank you, God, for bringing shalom to us. We didn't deserve it, but you gave it to us freely, and we are so thankful for that. And so we praise you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.